that has become one of my core learning philosophies that you can always apply. You can always learn from a, what is a seemingly completely different field and apply it to everything else, to strength conditioning, to hockey, to chess, to Tai Chi push hands in the case of Josh Waitzkin. And I think just approaching life with that mindset, that learning doesn't exist in a vacuum. You're learning, you're just going to notice learning opportunities around you. Welcome to TSP. I'm your host, Matt Thomas, and today I'm joined by David Rosales, who does a ton of stuff. He's the co-owner of Roman Fitness Systems. He's the head editor of ProHockeyStrength.com, which is the official website of SCAF, which stands for Strength and Conditioning Association of Pro Hockey. So official for the NHL. He has written for places like Muscle and Strength, Personal Training Development Center, as well as Ghost Written for Simply Faster. And we've been best friends for, what has it been, like a week-ish now? Yeah, it's, it's now we're, we're working on our one-week anniversary, I think. Oh, my right? gosh. Oh, my gosh. So sentimental. But uh, David is another product of a genuine Twitter DM. We hopped on Zoom just to officially say hello, make sure he wasn't just a bot spamming me, that he was a real person. We kind of vibed for, that was like over an hour, just really, really good combos. Figured it would be a good fit with this kind of interesting story and different kind of perspective and lens on this world of performance with a job and role that not many of us like know people that kind of do what you do. So I'm very excited to, to get right into it. So first, how are you doing? And second, what is the story most fundamental to where you are now? So basically without X, you would not be here. Great, man. Thanks for that introduction. It reminds me of all the things I have to do now for all those different projects I have going on. But yeah, for that story, and, and a lot of my background, I, I like to intertwine different lessons from different industries. And that really kind of explains my career path in a lot, in a lot of ways. So for this lesson, we're going to have to go back first uh, to when I was 14 years old. My family, I'm from a small town in Vermont called Jericho, Vermont. My family hosted an exchange student from Barcelona, Spain. And he was in high school. I was in middle school. And so he was like an older brother to me. And then after I graduated high school, four years later in in 2017, he reached out to me. He's like, hey, come to Spain for the summer. It would be such a good experience. And I was like, ooh, Spain for the summer sounds amazing. But like, I don't know if I can do that. Like, I, I just got my personal trainer certification. But in the end, I knew it was an opportunity that I couldn't turn down. A little bit more background about me. My last name is Rosales, which is Rosales in Spanish. So you may assume I speak Spanish. But at the time, I actually didn't. Even though my dad is from El Salvador, which is a small Central American country, my mom is a white girl from Massachusetts, which basically means even though half of my household, even though, even though half of my household's first language is Spanish, I grew up not speaking it. And it was something I was really, really insecure about. So when I got the opportunity from my exchange student's family to go visit him in Spain, I, was, I thought to myself, this is going to be the best opportunity I have to speak Spanish. I mean... If half my family speaking the language isn't enough, then if I couldn't go and be immersed in the country then, and learn it, then there would really be no hope for me learning the language. And I promise this all connects back to strength and condition. So I get on a plane to Spain and I have a book with me. And it's, the book is Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. For those of you who don't know Tim Ferriss, he hosts a big podcast where he interviews uh, world-class performers. And this book is the collection of the highlights of a lot of those interviews. And reading this book, there was a theme that came up over and over and it was the importance of successful people and, and how often they just take action and have courage to take action. When I thought about what I wanted to learn in Spain, that was finally nailed down the Spanish language. 
I knew that could only happen by getting out of my comfort zone consistently and in nearly every opportunity I could. However, that's much easier said than done. I get off the plane in this amazing country. It's a, it's a sunny, warm Barcelona summer day. And everyone around me is speaking in ways I can hardly understand. And our, our natural instinct as human beings in this situation is to like shudder and like, oh, just talk to my one friend who can only speak English. Uh, but really, if you want to learn a language, you need to get out of your comfort zone. So I started that first day. We would go to a grocery store and Alvaro, my exchange student, would be like, oh, yeah, I'll order for you. What, what do you want? And I would say, no, this is my opportunity to get out of my comfort zone and speak the language. And I did. And sometimes I couldn't. Sometimes I was too scared. There are obviously people who were harder to approach than others. But I learned that over time, the only way to learn a language is to get repetition after repetition after repetition. And every time you have to get out of your comfort zone. It means that when I didn't know a word, I had to be like, what does this mean? And they would be like, ha ha, you don't know what that means. You're an idiot. Everyone would laugh at you. But understanding that is just part of the learning process. I joke that after about four days in Spain, I had learned more Spanish than I did in four years of Spanish in high school. But that wasn't the most important lesson because when I returned from Spain, speaking Spanish, dreaming in Spanish, thinking in Spanish, I realized that the skills I learned language learning carried over into so much more. When I got back to my job as a personal trainer, I realized that I now had the courage to have difficult conversations with clients, difficult conversations to reach out to people. I had no more fear going out and saying, oh, I need to go and try to get 10 more clients. And this is how I'm going to do it. These are the steps I'm going to take. And you know what? If it fails, it doesn't matter. Because that was another thing I learned speaking to people. Anytime we're about to enter a difficult conversation, we've all had those conversations. We have butterflies in our stomachs. We know it's, it's going to be hard. But then once you have it, you realize that the fear, there really was that, not that much risk. And a lot of times, even if it goes horribly, let's say you want to go up and talk to a stranger. And you're like, oh, I'm so scared. I'm so nervous. I don't know if I can do this. Let's say you go do it and, and it goes horribly. Then that's it. The interaction's over. And all that risk you carried in yourself wasn't really that risky. There was actually no long-term downside effect. And that's something I learned in Spain that carried over into my career as a personal trainer is that I, I had the courage to now take risks and do things that other people just wouldn't do just because they were scared to and, and didn't, they were listening to those butterflies in their stomach and not having the courage to take action on that. And there's a quote in that book by Tim that I, I try to embody in my everyday life. And that is a person's success in life can usually be measured by the number of uncomfortable conversations he or she is willing to have. And as strength coaches, personal trainers, if you can't have uncomfortable conversations, it's going to be so much harder to build relationships, to move forward in your career, to retain clients because clients sometimes need to hear difficult things. And in the long term, those are things that they're going to appreciate. Getting right into it, hopping off the plane, speaking that Espanol. I love it. And I think that there's so much to be said to have that kind of growth mindset as well as in the back of your mind, understanding like, yes, I'm going to have to take action. And yes, I will. And like just a lot of perspective that it sounds like that book was pretty fundamental in giving you. But uh, David is quite the storyteller. That's part of the benefits of being a pretty legit writer as well. And just the ability to communicate, which I believe is one of your next stories, wink, wink. But uh, so you, you, um, so you went to Spain, you kind of came back. And like, it's so interesting that 
there's all of these stories that I hear on TSP. And I always say that, that there's value in everything if you like make it so, or if you see it so. Because one thing I definitely believe is that things are more similar than dissimilar. You know, although there's very few places that are like the inside of a weight room and interacting with athletes. There's all of these skills that, that kind of transfer regardless, or there's all these skills that you can work on kind of in other places. So being able to, to understand that instead of just a vacation, it was like an opportunity to set you up for literally kind of everything else. Um, but uh, so kind of anything else on that story, kind of when you came back, was did you feel like kind of a, a new man or, or was it just you just felt more comfortable kind of doing those having those conversations i thought that just having another language would change my life and it absolutely did the value i if anyone wants to go through the hardest learning experience of your life go try to learn a language you don't speak it is it is amazing you literally learn to think in a completely different way but like you said what's most valuable is the skills i learned learning that language and that is one of my core learning philosophies, that nothing exists in a vacuum. For example, one of a life-changing book for me, when I played junior hockey and I was known for reading on the bus and, and my teammates would be like, ha ha, my teammates called me Rosie, Rosie's reading on the bus. And I'm like, yeah, I'm reading on the bus because I want to be smart. I don't know about you guys. And so for our, our team secret Santa, and I also played a lot of chess, which I was also known for, known for in our hockey team. Uh, my friend said, uh, Rosie likes to read books and he likes to play chess. So here's a book about chess. And that book was called The Art of Learning by Josh Waitzkin. Nice. Okay. And, and yeah, it, it was very nice. It was a nice, it was a nice book. It, it ended up changing my life. Now, Josh Waitzkin was in his youth an international chess master, considered a prodigy, and then went on to become a Tai Chi, uh, tai Chi push hands world champion, and later a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu under probably the goat of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, Marcelo Garcia. And in that book, Waitzkin talks about how the skills he learned playing chess transferred directly over into Tai Chi. And I thought about his skills from chess and how those transferred into hockey and into strength conditioning. For example, in the chess world, we have this, we have this saying that you want to learn the end game before you just memorize opening principles. Because when you can learn how to get checkmate with a pawn and a king versus a king, you can learn about the innate power of a king. Whereas if you're just trying to memorize openings and, and trick other players, yes, you might win games, but you're not truly learning. When I heard that lesson, that was directly applicable to two things for me. At first, it was applicable to hockey because in hockey we, and in sports, we get caught up in, in routes and strategies and tactics and, and special teams. But really, maybe we just need to go back and, and learn how to skate better. That in hockey is a fundamental skill. Maybe we need to go back to the basics. In strength and conditioning, that lesson of start with the end game transferred over into we need to learn the basics first. Like you have no business doing power cleans and Olympic lifts and, and a lot of stuff before you can even goblet squat or split squat or do a push up. That has become one of my core learning philosophies that you can always apply. You can always learn from a, what is a seemingly completely different field and apply it to everything else, to strength conditioning, to hockey to chess, to Tai Chi push hands in the case of Josh Waitzkin. And I think just approaching life with that mindset, that learning doesn't exist in a vacuum. You're learning, you're just going to notice learning opportunities around you. Fantastic. And, and the skill of learning new skills or the skill of being better at something, you know, I think that this might be a little cliche, but like how you do something is how you do everything. So I don't know if I fully believe in that, but 
the ability to do something is kind of the ability to kind of do everything or how you approach it. And I'll, I'll give a quick example of myself on that same kind of uh, topic. So in quarantine, my skill was to learn how to make videos because I always watched a lot of YouTube and I really got into like streaming Netflix and stuff. And I was like, I want like, I love like those like 10 to 20 minute like documentaries that like look really legit, but you can tell like are just like made by regular people. And I got a camera in like March, April-ish, very safely though, don't worry. And, and I just like YouTube, I had my house and my parents and whatever we have in our house. As, and I just like had this goal of learning how to make videos. And it's funny how, as I would describe it more, and I turned it into freelancing and I've traveled across the US uh, for Tenity Motion. And I, I always say it's pretty similar to like training and coaching athletes where it's very abstract, you know, you, you have these shots and then you want to, you want to create the mood and the emotions and all of this kind of stuff, similar to how you have this athlete and you can do anything under the sun when training them. Right. But I think kind of how my mind works is that I understand these kind of abstract parts, but I need something objective to wrap my head around it. And just with all the YouTube videos I watch on how to like technically do all of this stuff. It's like, I understand frame rates, framing, composition, just the beats of music, how to edit and like all these like technical aspects. So there's these things in, in training, you know, there's the principle of uh, progressive overload, specific adaptation to impose demands. There's, you know, volume and intensity to attract those over time, et cetera, et cetera. So there's these objective components, but how you put it together is where the abstract comes in. And it's crazy how like, maybe that's why I'm okay, I guess, at, at making videos is like, I know how to put these like abstract concrete things that are things, but by themselves mean nothing, you know? So it's, it's crazy how like things definitely are more similar than dissimilar. I loved your story of connecting video editing, strength conditioning. That is, that is my passion is, is connecting learning fields. And as we'll see in the later stories, when you, when you know how to, when you learn how to learn and you learn how to communicate what you learn, the possibilities are endless, you know? And, and so I would, I would encourage, again, we're going to get to this later, but I would encourage strength conditioning coaches to put down the strength conditioning textbook and pick up a book like the art of learning. And it's kind of about chess, but reading about chess or whatever, whatever you want to read about will make you a better strength coach. So was that the coolest story or was that the, the kind of first biggest story? Uh, that was, let's see. That was my, I think that was my coolest story. That was okay. my coolest story. That was a pretty cool story. <laughs> yeah. So that was like kind of before all this, but uh, this story, I know you told me the first time we chatted a long, long time ago. Uh, so what is next? Like the biggest first kind of fundamental story, like without X, you would not be here. So now I've, I've come back from Spain. I'm really a new person. I have a new language. I have this, I have this ability now to approach people with what, with what year was Spain. This was 2017. I was 18 years old. And that was also the same time I graduated high school. This is important. I should have said this. I decided to take a gap year. So I said, I'm going to work at a gym. I was playing competitive junior hockey. If you know hockey, you know junior hockey. So I was playing hockey and I was working at a gym. And my personal training stuff was going well. I was, I was meeting a lot of cool people. I was running youth classes, running adult classes, you know, doing wake up at 4.30 to teach a 5.30 client, all that stuff that we've all done. Um, but I knew there was something more for me. I didn't, I didn't want to wake up at 4.30 for the rest of my life. That sounded terrible. And I was, I was 19, 18, turning 19. Uh, so I, I knew, and I was already kind of sick of it. So I didn't want to do it forever. I was looking at schools as well. I was thinking about moving to New York City. 
And that was when an old trainer who I'd followed, his name was John Romanello. People, if you were in like the bro meathead fitness space from like 2012 to 2015, you definitely know him. If you weren't in that space, you probably don't know him. But basically he he wrote a best selling, wrote a New York Times bestselling book, had a big blog, all that, all that stuff in like 2012 to 2015 and since left fitness, but I kept following him. And he was well known in the industry for being a really great writer. And I had an affinity for writing. And so he's, he had an Instagram story that was advertising doing one-on-one writing mentorship. Now, John Romanello is not the kind of guy I could cold email or cold DM and be like, Hey, be my friend. Cause that had worked for, that had worked for getting clients that did not work for talking to super successful people who charge a thousand dollars an hour for the time. But he did, he did advertise coaching and it was $5,000 for a three month writing mentorship. And I had this quote going through my head as I saw this and going through this. And it comes from Graham Duncan, who's billionaire hedge fund manager, smart dude. He says, I invest a disproportionate amount of my income into an ever growing collection of coaches and trainers. And I translated that to mean if you're investing in developing skills and relationships, by definition, you're always going to be getting better, right? If every project you have going on, if you're learning new things, building skills and meeting new people, building relationships, even if on paper, financially, it's not a smart decision and maybe it doesn't work out, you're still going to come out of that situation with more skills and more relationships. And if you keep doing that, you can't fail. So I had that going through my head as I decided to spend. Now I was doing well as a personal trainer, but you guys know on the floor, personal trainers can only do so well. So I did, I spent, this is a, a risk, but a calculated risk to spend my money to hire John thinking that, you know, I would build skills, become a better writer. Specifically, he had a lot of writing expertise in the fitness industry and he would get to know me. Obviously I didn't have ideas of like becoming his best friend, but I knew I wanted to move to New York. He lived in New York and I knew he had a lot of New York fitness connections. So I'm like, oh, maybe he can like help me get an internship somewhere, introduce me to people. So skills and relationships. At the end of our three months, John and I really kind of hit it off. And he was like, hey, I was actually wondering if you wanted to come to New York and, uh, and work for me. And I was like, yeah, you don't have to sell me an opportunity to work for you. And now he doesn't run a company. It's just him. It's, he's an entrepreneur. And so there I was. I moved to New York in, in the fall of 2019. So I, I took two gap years. should have said that. But in the fall of 2019, and I would city bike up. I was living in the village. He lived in Hudson Yards. I would city bike up 8th Ave through Madison Square Garden, all that mess of Midtown, and to go hang out with him in his apartment and just basically take his phone away so he would write his books and stuff like that. And since then, John and I have built just an immeasurably close bond. To call him my Obi-Wan Kenobi is, I think, an understatement because he means more to me than Anakin ever recognized the value of Obi-Wan or even what Luke Skywalker recognizes the value of Obi-Wan. So we're even closer than that. And even on a financial standpoint, I've now taken over his old fitness company, Roman Fitness Systems, and have made, made back that financial ROI. So my advice to strength coaches is, Yes, have courage, go out, reach out to people. But there comes a point where you have to be willing to invest in your education and invest in who you're growing with. And I, I know that comes from a place of privilege and that I had that money. But I, I think if you, if you have the funds, you will never regret spending it on something you feel like you can definitely learn a ton from that could change your life and give you connections that could change your life. And, and kind of speaking on investing in yourself or investing in 
like other coaches versus like just doing stuff that directly affects your athletes, I'll kind of take a step back. I'm like, let's say consulting, you know, because I, most of my content is geared towards helping out other coaches. You know, it's like, I can help 20 coaches or sorry, I can help 20 athletes or I can help 20 coaches that then help 20 athletes. You know, you can, you can pay for just general writing skills and how to like post stuff better for your listeners. Right. Or you can pay for yourself that will elevate all of the consequent content, if that kind of makes sense. So it's, it's, it's definitely like an interesting kind of perspective mindset mindset shift on like, how is this really going to pay dividends or what, like, what is the most effective use of this resource, whether it's time, money, et cetera, et cetera. So when you were kind of going through this thought process, trying to weigh both sides, the money, the time, the transportation, uh, just his kind of legitness and credibility. Do you remember kind of, was it like you had all these sticky notes or a whiteboard, you were pros and cons? Was it chatting with people that had done that like kind of mentorship before? Or can you kind of just walk us through what that process was from first coming across that fitness ad versus like committing and shaking his hand for the first time? When in life, you have to say no to a lot. Just there's always a, there's always, you always miss out on something. So if something's not a hell yes, it should be a no in most instances. And obviously there are instances, especially starting out where you have to say yes to a lot. But with John, for me, it was a full body hell yes. Like there's no way I'm going to like let this opportunity slip. And so same thing for other people. If it's, if it's a hell yes, if there's a coach who you know, like you feel a connection with them and you follow their stuff for years. I'd followed John since I was literally in eighth grade. So this is a person I'd followed and I read his book in eighth grade. From age 14 to up in this point, I was now 20. From ages 14 to 20, I followed him. I had, I knew what he knew. I knew what he'd done. And it was a full body yes. So I didn't have a whiteboard. I didn't do pros and cons. Now that those things aren't valuable, I think I think every person could probably approach it differently. But I think at the end of the day, if your body's saying like, yeah, I, I need to do this. This is a huge move. Or if you think about like, what if I pass up on this and that sounds worse, then that's, I think that's also a reason to, to do it. That's definitely a, a good question to ask. And and a lot of the times we always get caught up in like, oh, well, well, what if I, what if I do it and it doesn't work out? Well, what if I, I don't do it? You know, like, how would that make me feel? Yeah. And I'm actually just to tie it into the, the first point of like, uh, with the courage story is, is a lot of times fears aren't that scary once you take them. And so when you think about what the worst case scenario is of that going well, worst case scenario, I'm, I, I'm out $5,000. I can work for two more months and make that back. Like, but best case scenario, the upside is like now knowing one of someone super smart who can help me in so many ways. And, and so if you think about that, like upside and downside, a lot of times the downside sounds a lot worse at the beginning, but when you really think about like, oh, what's the worst, what's the, what am I actually afraid of? And could that actually happen? And that's something that the Stoics talk about a lot is like, okay, is my fear valid, basically? And I think if you take that also, that can help. Big stoic guy. I, I definitely enjoy uh, stoic kind of philosophy and sayings and stuff. Um, and I think uh, Ryan Holiday does a, a pretty good job with all of that. But uh, that. So, so next, can we chat about kind of the progression and development of kind of your relationship and mentorship when it turned into, or the start from when you shook his hand, you met him, to, you know, feel comfortable calling him kind of your best friend and buying his company. Yeah. So 
great article. Speaking of Ryan Holiday, like John's friends with him, so I've actually like Ryan. Ryan's a good dude, verified, really, really good dude. Everyone should read all his books. Yeah, Um, Ryan has an amazing essay. It's called the Canvas Strategy, and the thesis of this essay is: when you're starting out young, be a canvas for other people to paint on. Don't worry about money. Don't worry about credit. Just just let other people paint on the canvas you provide. And when I stepped into that mentorship with John, I was just there for him to ask good questions, to be there for support, to take his phone away when he wouldn't get off Instagram, just be there for support. And I think then things come back around. And even now, like he's still, I'm still in that like apprentice. I'm, I'm a canvas for him to paint on. Like I'm helping with this book. Like I'm not going to have any credit at all for that book as I shouldn't because it's his book. And so I think that's the attitude you have to have is like, you can't actually try to get something out of this. Like you just need to like be canvas for them to paint. I just come back to that all the time. <laughs> Do you remember the first time you had to snatch his phone away from him? Yeah. It was the first day, dude. Like this guy's like, yeah, right. So like, here's uh, he's, I mean, whatever, but um, he's like, yeah, we're writing, writing this chapter for this book. He's like, yeah, I just got to respond to these Instagram DMS. You know, he was like, he's a lot of followers. So he gets a lot of DMS and he could spend all day responding. I'm like, dude, give me your phone. He's like, all right, fine. And we ended up getting some writing done. So yeah. Oh, it, it wasn't some big thing where it's like, uh, I mean, you told me to take it, but like, so he didn't put up a fight or anything. <sighs> no, he didn't because he's smart enough to know, like, you're right. I told you to do this. Uh, and I guess that's part of the natural rapport him and I had where like, I felt like I could do what he asked me to do. And, and if he pushed back, I could push back against him. All right. And then kind of last thing on that, uh, kind of story and topic, and then we'll move on to the next one. But when was that kind of moment that, that you were like, okay, maybe this has progressed into something more than like a three month thing. Well, he, it's a good question. Throughout our paid mentorship, we texted. That's, that's part of it is we text. I drove to New York city to see a girl I was seeing. And I was like, Hey John, let's get lunch. And we got lunch and we got bagels, classic New York city bagels. And at that lunch, we like, I felt a rapport, just like a good smooth connection. And he's like, yeah, I actually have like some people you might be able to intern for. We started to talk about those things that I'd hope would come to fruition. I like, oh, he knows people in fitness in New York city. He could help me meet, he could introduce me to. At that time, I started to think this would be at least after the three months, we wouldn't lose, I wouldn't lose contact with him. When he asked me to work for him, that was the moment. And I didn't predict it. I was thrown off. And it was just one of those moments that you don't forget and replays in my head and you go, I was in Vermont. I was at home and I went into my backyard, played my favorite songs. I like fist, you know, all that stuff. Like, yeah, like I did it, all that stuff. So that there was really, I couldn't predict it, but that was the moment. Very cool. Very cool. And, and all of those times when it's like, I don't know how it's directly going to pay off, but I kind of have these like vague, you know, kind of cloudy assumptions, you know, when it's like, well, this is real. I can only imagine what, what that must've felt like. Yeah. There's no doubt. It was a risk. I took a, I took a risk, but, and I'm not saying you should throw caution to the wind and invest in GameStop. That's a bad idea. But if you look, if you really look at what the downside of the decision you're scared of making is and look at the potential upside, you can work through that. And, and in my case, I saw that this would had a ton of potential upside with actually very little downside once I thought about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of like best case scenario. What's like the most realistic positive outcome like the most unrealistic negative outcome a realistic negative outcome and then like what if i just don't do anything yeah you know 
Yeah. And what's the cost of doing nothing? This is a, this is a stoic exercise. It's called fear setting. So if you Google fear setting, the stoics will come up and I, there's a, I think actually either Ryan or Tim or Tim Ferriss has a good article that kind of like translates what the stoics meant. So if, if you have a big decision you want to make and you're not sure how to go about making it, just Google fear setting and, and find that exercise. Fantastic. Fantastic. Tie it into action already, but we'll get there in a little bit. So last kind of big question story. Uh, so, so we went through kind of like the beginning, the middle, and now we're kind of going to get towards the end or present. So the story you're most proud of, or kind of like looking back the biggest kind of payoff, uh, kind of full circle moment thus far. Yeah, I think I actually want to take us back a bit back to 2017, because I've hinted I'm a writer, I've written for some some big fitness publications, but you know, I've worked for john, but that doesn't really tell the full story of of why I think writing is important. So I'm going to go back to the 2017 fall uh, Cressy Sports Performance Seminar. I think oh, everyone, everyone knows yeah. everyone knows Eric Cressy. He Cressy Sports Performance now works for the New York Yankees. So everyone everyone should know him. And so we'll tie back into courage. Also, this is another good advice. When you go to seminars, go. There's usually like a pre day event where like there's one speaker. Always go to that because there's going to be one fifth the people, but all the presenters will be there. So it's a good opportunity to talk and meet the presenters. So I go the, the day before and Eric Cressy's just there hanging out because it's his gym and there's maybe 30 people. So I get the opportunity to ask Eric Cressy a question. And I say, Mr. Cressy, he goes, please call me Eric. Make me sound old. By the way, Eric Cressy, sneaky Jack in person. He's, oh, Jack, he's huge. He's actually an absolute freak in person. So he, I was a little bit intimidated. I was, I was 19, just turned 19. I said, what do you think are the most important traits as a young strength coach to build a foundation. He said two things. One, anatomy. Learn anatomy. All right, all right. Mental note, get an anatomy textbook. And two, learn how to communicate. Because all of the best strength coaches that you know, the reason you know them is because they know how to give their message effectively to a broader audience. Whether that's learning how to coach better or even learning how to market better or even specifically learning how to write better. On my drive home from that seminar, that's what stuck in my head. I was thinking about the trainers I knew, the ones I followed the most, and I realized they're all writers. They're all writers just as much as their strength coaches. Eric Cressy's had a blog for years. Mike Boyle's written tons of books. Even, even if they're not the best X's and O's strength coaches, they're the ones we think of a lot because they're also writers and they're good writers. So I was like, I wanted to become a better writer. How would I do that? Yes, I hired John eventually, but I was also thinking about how I could continue this in a higher education setting. Now, again, going to college was, a, a, again, a lot of privilege on my hand. My parents were like, you know, you don't have to, but we'll support you if you'd like to go. But I didn't know what I wanted to study because I think a lot of people assume if you want to be a strength coach, you should go study exercise science. And that's perfectly a valid path and there's nothing wrong with that. But I felt like I had gotten tons of hands-on experience from reading books, doing courses, going to seminars, and most importantly, actually coaching people. And I think every coach can attest that the only way to learn how to coach people is to actually coach people. My plan was to continue to just coach people to learn how to coach people. So I didn't feel the need to study something like exercise science. But I did want to become a better communicator. I want to become a better writer. But where, what program fit for me? And I found a program at New York University, which is in, in Manhattan, called the Gallatin School of Individualized Study. And at that program, every student makes their own major. I and mean, this is an advertisement for Gallatin, but I think, I think you've read Range by David Epstein. I know you mentioned that on the previous podcast. The idea of being a generalist. 
And that's pretty much the philosophy of Gallatin. Every Gallatin student, we learn whatever your major is, your concentration, we call it. You learn how to think, you learn how to learn, you learn how to write, you learn how to communicate. And that's what I wanted. And so my advice to other strength coaches, especially if you're young, question the assumption of what you need to study in college and really think about what skills you want to learn. You don't have to learn how to be a writer in school, just like you don't have to be learn how to be a good strength coach in school. You could learn those in other avenues. There are books, courses, mentors, in person, like actually doing the thing. And then of course, higher education is an option. I went, ended up going to Gallatin, moving to New York, working with John while going to school. And that in combination is what propelled me to become a much better writer. But I want to get back to why this is so important to our industry, because we're all writers, whether we're writing emails, texts, social media posts, articles, even if you don't identify as a writer, you are a writer. And if you're increasing the way you communicate, you'll notice you'll get your, obviously your marketing stuff will do much better, but also the way you talk with your clients will improve because writing is really just thinking on paper. When I write, you're taking the thoughts you have, that internal monologue in your brain, and you're swirling it out of your head and onto a page. That's your thoughts on a page. But now that it's concretized, now you can see where your thought process is flawed, where you're not supporting it with good evidence. And that in turn can make you a better thinker. So on top of making you a better coach and communicator, writing is also just a great thought exercise. And that's why I think there should be more emphasis on it in our industry. And it's what personally has allowed me to, at the age of 22, already meet a lot of amazing coaches because I have a skill a lot of them don't. And so that's an asset for me. Very, very interesting. And, and that was something I, I was definitely going to ask if it didn't come up, but I'm glad it did. It was kind of just like, why, why writing and, and editing and kind of a, a less traditional path? But I think it makes total sense. And and it's, it's interesting kind of that story about Cressy. I have my own Cressy story, actually. Ooh, you should tell it. You want to tell and, it? Yeah, sure. And, uh, and of course, I, so it was the internship and, and, I'll, and it's kind of like a, a double whammy and I'll stop stalling. So it was the uh, summer of 2016 in between my sophomore and my junior year of college intern. My boss went out to uh, Cressy's place and Boyle's place. My boss and the director of marketing, they came back. Cressy was like, hey. So when I never really get out to the Midwest. Like I'd love to host a seminar if we can do it at your facility. And my boss said, heck yeah. You know, so it's my 20th birthday, I think. And, and I get there early and I'm, you know, setting up chairs. I'm the intern, da, da, da. Uh, even though I've been like coaching the whole summer, but then my boss walks in with Eric Cressy and it's like, I watch all of his videos. I read all of his articles and I'm just like, he's right here in front of me, you know? So my boss is like, Hey, Eric, this is Matt. He's an intern college baseball player. You know, he's like, He's uh, doing an awesome job this summer. And I'm just like, didn't say a word. Didn't say, I feel I, that so much. I fangirled so hard. My coworkers gave me so much crap for it. But anyways, so I guess there's like kind of three main things to come out of this. So it was during the first intermission uh, and I, and everyone was going up and talking to him, you know, and I was just waiting in line, like, like the patient little, you know, like intern I was. And then I was like the last person before we, we wrapped up and I was like, Hey, Eric, you know, just want to let you know, I'm a college pitcher. If you need someone to go up and demo, you know, because I was that there's like a hands-on or he'll actually like do something, you know? And, uh, and then, so I tell him that, you know, he starts speaking again, 15 minutes later, Matt, he's an intern here. He, he, uh, so graciously, um, uh, volunteered to, to do some of the demos, uh, and I'm going to have him come up. You know, so I'm like up there and I, 
so I stumped Eric Cressy because my right shoulder is lower than my left shoulder, but I'm a left-handed pitcher. And there's some pitchers that they get looser from throwing and tighter with throwing. And let's just say I'm one of those pitchers that gets tighter when they throw. So I definitely, because I took my shirt off and he's like, you're a righty. I'm like, nope. <laughs> so that was just that. Um, but that was the summer before I took anatomy. And I asked him the stupidest like shoulder question. Like looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, he must have thought I was some noob. Anyways, I'm still scarred, but it's fine. Um, but, you know, having the courage to go up and ask and just like, like, who am I to tell Eric Cressy? Like, oh, by the way, if you need me, wink, wink, you know, but I did. And I have the pictures on my phone where he drew Sharpie on my back, you know, to like show my shoulder blades and stuff. So super cool. I'm just like kind of being courageous. And then uh, this was a, a friend of mine from Louisville when he first met Mark Verstegen. He asked him the same question. He's like, what's the one thing that's going to differentiate me or same concept of your question? And Mark Verstegen said, learn how to deal with soft tissue injuries. Like you will rarely, a fraction of the time, have a 100% healthy team, healthy athlete, et cetera, et cetera. So learning how to not become a PT or an AT, but like learn how to just, what the mechanisms, how to treat it, how you can modify your SNC to kind of help fit those, um, those like problems, if that kind of example makes sense. So it's interesting that, that you asked that question and, and that's what he said and how it set you up on literally the path for everything else, but being able to communicate and like, I always say, or I've said on my podcast before, the difference between what's in your head and your heart and getting that into the head and heart of others is like through your mouth, right? And how you're able to communicate that. Um, so, so super cool kind of story, um, just kind of meeting Eric Cressy and, and all of that stuff um, and kind of what brought you to writing and everything like that. Uh, but so I think I understand kind of both sides because I've had coworkers uh, at TC Boost where I coach now that did not have excess science degrees. One had an accounting degree. She was a national champion, heptathlete, crossfitter, freaking 10 pack, you know, but she was like, what's a motor unit? You know, she was a great coach, but there were some things that like, being able to, so I think that there's value in getting outside the box and you will become way better coaching than like you ever have. And like having done that internship halfway through my four years at undergrad, it, it ruined the next two years of classes for me. Cause I was like, that's not how it is in real life, you know? So I think that there's definitely value in applied experience, but at the end of the day, like the foundations are the foundations for a reason. Do I think that they can be taught a little bit more effectively? Yes. So I'm not trying to, you know, say like, I'm trying to say that there's value in both. And it's cool that you were able to kind of make all of those connection points on like, really, what is the point of all of this? And uh, probably more of an applied lens than something a little bit more traditional. So uh, super cool story. Yeah, just, just to speak off that, again, like great, obviously great point. Like there's tons of value and you need to know that stuff. I'm not saying you don't need to know the basics of anatomy. That was the first part of Cressy's answer. But in going back to questioning the assumptions of the world, which I think is just a good foundational learning thing how you learn something can be different than the traditional path for how you learn it. You can learn what motor units are through books and, and through courses, like not necessarily by paying $50,000 to go to a school. Now that you won't learn in school also, but the point is where you learn something, you can question that assumption also. And then the context in which you apply it, you know, kind of like, what's the point? And I think that there's so much that's missed in like consume, like this like mass consumption mode of like, material and content you know when it's like how much of that do you like actually apply you know or like oh there was this awesome video i read this awesome book it's like okay tell me like three action steps that that is going to make you a better practitioner it's like uh 
I tweeted about it and it got some likes, you know, or like, so not to, not to target anyone, but I always think it's funny when people post like book of the month, you know, it's like, Oh, I've read 12 books. It's like, so you're telling me that each one of those has directly affected how you do your job, you know, versus let's say you take two months per book, one month reading it, the second month kind of going back, reflecting that now that you have all the material with this new lens, you know, so that's just one example. I'm not targeting anyone. I could read more myself, but just that example of like, what's the point? Uh, so definitely a, a unique perspective and thank you for sharing. And that segues into this last thing. So here on TSP, I love the theoretical, the stories, the more relatable, they're funny, they're different. They get your brain kind of going, et cetera, et cetera. And honestly, some people on, on my show said that these are like the toughest questions that they've had. So I always enjoy hearing, oh, that's a good question, which you said once, but also at the end of the day, we are practitioners and we have to be good at what we do to pay the bills, to pay for that mentorship, et cetera, et cetera. So tying this into action, if you had to give the listener one question to ask themselves on a daily or weekly basis, just that you think having that reflection consistency can help them become better, what would that be? Am I cultivating courage as a way of life? I think let's go back to the first story. I think that's the foundation of, of so many successful stories is just taking action and doing the damn thing. And that's so much easier said than done. So another way to phrase that question could be, am I doing something today that is making, that's uncomfortable? Am I having an uncomfortable conversation today? I think if you're doing that, you're going to be successful. And uncomfortable doesn't necessarily have to be like negative. It can be uncomfortable in a positive no. way. Yeah. How uncomfortable is it? This is something I think something that's not really accepted in culture, I think should be is telling your bros. We're both, we're both dudes telling your bros. You love them. Telling your bros. You love them. That is not a comfortable thing to do at first. Tell your friend. He was like, Hey, what's up, man? Yeah, yeah good. I'm how are you to actually say, Hey, I really deeply appreciate you as a member of my life. That's an uncomfortable conversation, but it's, it's a positive one. And it has, obviously lots of good effects. Yeah. And, and like just those, I mean, that, that example, intense, deep emotions, you know, like eventually you're going to have to express that, you know, as biology and humans is to like meet your person and, and procreate. And that's how life has continued. But like, that's just one example that I struggle with, you know, even like with my parents, like being able to express that just like genuine appreciation and gratitude. Like that's a very intense emotion if you kind of really feel it. And here's another example, like hopping on Zoom with the stranger that DM'd you about being on his podcast. Or if you're networking and job searching, like I, I always say, cause I've job searched for eight, I talk about this way too much on my podcast. My 18 months of job searching, 60 applications, literally I couldn't quantify the amount of hours on the phone I've spent just talking to people and networking. Those first two minutes, with this person who has a PhD, they've been in pro or college sports for 10 plus years. They've done kind of all of this stuff. And like, you just have to navigate kind of that first two minutes, you know, like, like I, I have imposter syndrome all the time. It's like, who am I to like ask for their time, you know? So it's just like having the courage to go and send, hit send, DM, email, LinkedIn, whatever it may be. But then also like, hitting call and it's ringing you're just like, Oh my, like this could go professional. It could go casual. I just have no idea. I've just gotten like, no one's going to teach you that kind of stuff. So you just got to go and do. So I think, am I cultivating courage this week? Did I do something? Was I intentional 
about doing something that I wouldn't have done otherwise. I think if someone can accumulate more weeks and for sure more days than not doing that, intentionally kind of going out of their way, something they wouldn't have done otherwise, that would be an awesome uh, indicator of, of progress. If I could add one more, I want to ask two questions, but can I give the audience another question? Because it's kind of cool. It's trendy to talk about how important communication is right now, pretty much since Brett Bartholomew's book. It's been cool to be like, yes, you need to learn how to communicate. But I don't think really people say how you become better at that as well as we could. So I'll give just one actionable step. If, you're, if you know you're a very good strength coach and you know a lot of the X's and O's, but you feel like your bottleneck is communication, put down your strength and conditioning textbook you're reading right now, walk to your local bookstore and get a fiction book. Whether that's The Great Gatsby, Catcher in the Rye, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, I don't care. Get a, a good fiction book because those books are, are so well-known and amazing for a reason because the storytelling is so beautiful, the writing so beautiful. And just the act of reading that will make you a better communicator because you're seeing how good stories are told and what good language looks like. Interesting. Definitely something very different. So we will end on that. But before we say goodbye for the second time, I'm opening the floor up to you giving you the red carpet. You can plug whatever you want to plug, uh, where can people get more of you and all that good stuff. Thank you for that, Matt. This has been super fun. Did you have really, I hope someone, I hope someone's told you this before. You have a really good podcast voice. Really? Yes. You have a very good podcast voice. I'm sure, I'm sure other people, uh, that know me would probably say that they're tired of my voice, but <laughs> that is the first time that I've ever, I've ever been told that. So thank you very much. Of course. It's the mic. It might be the mic. Yeah. We both, yeah. You have a nice mic. Where people can find me, most of my writing is on RomanFitnessSystems.com. If you just Google Roman Fitness Systems, it comes up. If you're if you train hockey players, all the reason I'm trying to do podcasts is to talk about SCAF, but we didn't talk about it all, which is fine. But if you train hockey players, ProHockeyStrength.com is is where I am the head editor. So we have articles from all of the NHL strength coaches submitted to that website. So there's tons of free hockey training articles there. And then if you want to get in touch with me, really, I'm a Gen Z who's addicted to their phone. So please do not email me. Just send me an Instagram DM and I will probably respond right away because I'm addicted to my phone. That's at David Rosales Fitness. There is so much to be said about the power of a DM, not only with us, but just like reaching, like, like that means more than an email at this, you know, this day and age. But last thing, if the listener's still with us at this point, could you give as like a teaser about the whole like strength coach Twitter is the party and Google and because you like you're behind the scenes and stuff sure, and then we'll sure. end it. So I'm a, I'm a writer. So I've learned in, in marketing, I've geared towards what I can write to be a better marketer. And one thing that comes up a lot is search engine optimization. I think we should, we should have a private talk about this also, but everyone's obsessed with like, how do I grow my audience? Oh, um, strength coach, Twitter and Instagram is the way to do it. You got to post all the time, or you could focus on something that has a long-term effect and something like a blog post has a lot more value because it comes up on Google for Google searches. And the analogy I like to use is Instagram and Twitter are where the party's at right now. But Google owns the house, you guys. Google owns the house. Google runs the internet. So if you're trying to run an online business, don't forget about Google. Have a website, write blog posts, turn your Instagram posts into blog posts. This is a, a broader discussion of SEO and marketing I'm happy to have. But please remember, Google actually owns the house. Fantastic. I, I just wanted to hear you say uh, strength coach uh, Twitter is where the party's at, but Google owns the house. And we will end on that. So thank you very much for your time. And I'm looking forward to our next chat. Thanks, Matt. I really appreciate it. This was fun.